podcast starts in three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long-tongued heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian Edwards, Nathan Cravat. I'm JC Grove. Special guest, Mark Ward. Guys, we are wrapping up our four-week series. The month of April has been absolutely amazing. Mark, it's been good having you here with us these last four weeks. I just love the singing. I don't get to sing anywhere. This is great. I'll come back anytime to sing. No more podcasts, please. <laughs> well, hopefully, though, through these podcasts, there are going to be some people who are going to see the light on this issue that we've been talking about. Ooh, I get it. I see what you did there. And maybe I'm smell quick. good while they're seeing the light. Free Life Soap has been a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We want to thank Miss McCribbin for sponsoring the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Go to therecoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use your promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your order today. I thought Brian was going to go to someone needed to book us to come and sing at their conference or something like that. I think we would accept that booking, would we? Hey, fun fact, the other day, Gerald Wolf from Greater Vision started following me on Twitter, and he liked the video of us singing Champion Dude. of Love. Dude, we add Mark Ward to Champion of Love. Eat your heart out, Greater Vision. We sound you know, better. One of the highlight moments when I was in the Southern Gospel world was I, I wrote the song Bow the Knee uh, that Kirk Talley, of all people, actually recorded. And uh, they sang the song Bow the Knee at the First Baptist Church in Sevierville, Tennessee. And uh, Gerald Wolf was a part of that because that's where he attended. May, he may still attend there. And they sang Bow the Knee as a big, huge choir production. And it sounded amazing. That's awesome. Mark, do you know who Gerald Wolf is? No, but you wrote the song Bow the Knee, Bow the Knee. He's the king of all creation, Bow the Knee. No, I wrote I wrote a different bow than he. Oh, but thank sorry. you for thinking for a moment that I wrote that bow than he. I'll sign your Bible later if you want him to. Hey, speaking of singing and having a good time, we're going to be getting together with our RFP fam coming up this summer. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the tab that says RFP Meetup. We're going to be doing that in Statesboro, Georgia on June the 4th. Bourbon, Missouri on August 26th, 27th, 28th. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Find out all the details. Come and hang out with us. It's going to be an incredible time. We'd love to see you, meet you, and uh, man, just have a big old family gathering with the RFP fam. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. You know, getting to meet people and actually hearing them share what the podcast is meant to them and then being in a room where people are sharing that with other people and then they find relationship through that. It's an incredible experience. I still haven't gotten over when people walked up to us in Vegas and just started crying and told us what this podcast has meant to them personally and how much it's helped them and ministered to them. And everybody has their favorite episode and their favorite interview that we've done. And uh, I, I think people are either, even saying, hey, Brian's my favorite uh, host. JC's my favorite host. I think I've got one or two fans out there. What? But it's, it's awesome. Uh, we've also got our favorite guests that have come on, Mark Ward, props. And, uh, he says that about every he's, one of He's them. sitting at the table. So. <laughs> no, actually, this has been incredible. And I'm a little bit sad that this is coming to an end on this episode, but so looking forward to the meetup. 
You know what I love most, though, is when people, when they don't say this person's my favorite host or this person's my favorite host, what I like best is when people understand we're a unit. It's yeah. the three of us, and all three of our take is a little different. All three of our personalities is a little different. And what I love is when people recognize that the RFP wouldn't work if it weren't for the three of us being who we are and bringing what we bring to the podcast. So you guys are my favorite host in tandem together. I tell you who my favorite people are, the patrons of Patreon. Yes. These are some absolute incredible people that give every month. And we've had about 14 new patrons over the last few weeks that have joined up with us on Patreon. And we want to thank you for giving. Uh, you are helping us stay uh, every week coming to you with an episode. The RFP fam is continuing to grow with the network. And, uh, man, I'm just excited to see how God is going to take this to the next level in this next year. And you patrons of Patreon, we are so thankful uh, for all that you do and give to support the ministry of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Well, guys, this is week number four with our friend Mark Ward. It has been an incredible month, the month of April, and we are wrapping this up today with the topic, the value of using multiple English Bible translations. Do you know this? these episodes and this conversation about the King James Bible has now gone on so long? I was 50 when we started it, and now I'm 51. Like this thing has lasted forever. <laughs> April the 11th. Come on. That's awesome. Happy birthday. Thank you. Brian, you know, when you, you can start getting uh, senior coffees at Hardy's, you got to sing to yourself. And so uh, will you add that uh, third part, please? Mm, I'll do it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Brian. Happy birthday to you. And many more. Thanks for that, JC. It's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) It's not true. Guys, I am going to miss recording in person because we can sing. People ask us, why don't you sing more? I love it when you sing. It's hard to do with the delay over the internet, and we just got a new software, and and it's great, but you still can't sing. So this this has been incredible. Plus, Mark, man, you take us to the next level in many ways, but especially in singing. You know, guys, it has been good to see y'all this whole month in one day. <laughs> We've jammed a month into this day. It's I been have crazy. never changed clothes this many times in a day. <laughs> yeah, you know, speaking of that, JC, I want to thank the team that has yeah. been here all day with us, uh, Kelsey Bolton and Jonathan Wright and Clint Connor. I want to thank them Definitely. for making this video and this recording a possibility because, you know, again, we set up with the microphones and we talk, but there are always people who make this possible. And today they were willing to be those people. Shout out. Shout out. Thank you guys. Y'all are awesome. Thank you. Well, let's start this episode out with a video. I think it will introduce this topic very well. today that and I'll tell you guys the the question of the century is the final authority that is the question it's not world peace it's not world hunger it is what is the final authority and, and I showed you it is not man it is certainly not education and by no means is it science our final absolute final authority in all matters of faith and practice is the Bible And when I'm talking about the Bible, I'm not talking about some imaginary book that exists out there in the ether. I'm talking about a book that I'm holding in my hand right now. This book is the absolute final authority in all matters of faith and practice. So review chapter three, we'll give you a test next class on chapter three and on the material that you got here today. And we'll see you guys next week, okay? You guys have a good weekend. I think this is getting to the heart of the the real issue in the accusation against people that don't only accept the King James in that position is that we don't have a Bible that we can place in your hands. That is the full authoritative, absolutely perfect word of God. And I've heard people say that time and time again, a video was released last week and he basically said, put it in my hand. I want to see it. I want to touch it rather than the Bible out there in the ether. But we've already talked about 
throughout all histories, it's been copies of copies of copies of copies, and they weren't ever compiled in one place. And when you put all the copies of copies together, they didn't always agree 100% with each other. So the value of using multiple English Bible translations is this claim that he makes that we have some imaginary Bible in the ether. Is there any validity to that? No. Uh, there's an equivocation, uh, uh, an unfair double use of the word Bible there. When I hold up any one of these translations and I'm preaching, I say, we believe the Bible. I can say that with a full heart of assurance and confidence, but in my study or in the Sunday school class, when it's time to make the really fine distinctions that are important and necessary for theology, I'm not going to say, this here, this book in my hand is my final standard. I'm going to say, what God inspired is my final standard. And just like the King James translators, if I see a place in my Bible translation where the Hebrew or Greek you know, ought to, in, in, under a proper understanding, adjust the translation. That's fine because the final standard is not the English. The final standard is the Hebrew and Greek. So if God did not promise to give us a perfect translation and nowhere says in the Bible, use only one translation to avoid confusion, then there's nothing biblically wrong or theologically wrong, and I see a lot of benefit in it that we're going to talk about, with using multiple Bible translations. So, Mark, uh, I heard John Corson once tell the story that uh, a lady came to him and she said, what is the best Bible translation? And he responded, it's a red one. And she said, what does the color have to do with it? And he said, I'm not talking about the color, R-E-A-D. Uh, the best Bible translation is the one that you will actually read. And, but what would you say is the best Bible translation? I would give the same answer. Of course, I'd fill it out a little bit further. I would just say, you know, the kind of translation that you will actually run into, the one that your pastor recommends, that your Christian friends recommend, the one that's available on the Christian bookstore shelf, has already gone through so much vetting that you're really unlikely to run into the very few out there that I would, yeah, say, you know, stay away from. The passion translation is one that there's a that's a huge discussion but he adds to it and I, it's done irresponsibly so yes avoid it the new world translation from the jehovah's witnesses sure they change some stuff but i've never seen one outside the hands of a jehovah's witness on my doorstep and i've never seen this uh, passion translation except uh, online so yeah if, if people you trust handed it to you by all means the best one is the red one so we know that God is not the author of confusion. And I've heard the argument that, you know, the reason churches growing up, we use the King James is good for grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, and it's good enough for us. You go to Awana, you memorize King James. You go to church, you memorize King James. If you go to a traveling church, you hear a King James. And so it all was kind of the same. I, I believe it was one of the guys down at the parking lot revival service that was going on saying, that's why we need to get back to all using the King James some would say that God's not the author of confusion. Don't we need just one agreed-upon biblical standard? Would you agree with that argument? Well, I agree with a lot of that. I agree that it's valuable for everybody in a Christian circle or even in the entire English-speaking world, Kenya, New Zealand, Australia, Britain, America, Canada, et cetera, et cetera, Singapore, to be using one common standard. I mean, that is valuable. A lot of good things come from that. But does the Bible teach that we must do that? No. Does it necessarily cause confusion, of which God is not the author, for us to use multiple translations? No, I, I'm not confused. I am edified and instructed by the existence of multiple Bible translations. And then there is another one of those equivocations that I hear constantly, and I, I don't think people are purposefully doing this. But if they say, we need one agreed upon standard, well, we have that we have the Hebrew and Greek. So, of course, that's a huge discussion, too, that we've already had. But no English translation, no translation in any language do we have the authority from God to say is or ought to be our agreed-upon standard. There are prudential reasons why a pastor of a church might say, for our church, you know, just go ahead and bring the translation that I have. That's going to make it easier for you. Um, it's nice for us all to use the same thing in Awana. But that value needs to be weighed 
against other values that are in competition with it, in tension with it. For example, edification requires intelligibility. Do you really, do the Awana kids understand the verses that they're memorizing? And if they don't, then the value of using a common translation starts to erode. And I say the biblical value, understanding, ought to outweigh the prudential, pragmatic, but genuine value of having a common standard English Bible translation. I've had the conversation with many people about the qualifier that is in our statement of faith that we believe that the Bible is God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word in the original manuscripts. And I would just say everybody believes that. If you don't believe it was in the original manuscripts, then something's wrong. But they don't like that we say that because we're, I guess, detracting from the one that we hold in our hands. Are we belittling our modern translations, or even the King James, if we go back to the original manuscripts. And if someone says, well, we don't have those, but yeah, we have copies of copies of copies of copies, which has always been good enough for God. It should be good enough for us. So getting back to those original manuscripts, that's the standard. I keep hearing you say that. That's the standard. And the KJV only position and people that hold that has a big problem with that. They want the King James to be the standard, but the King James was translated from somewhere. So that's a fair question. That's a fair statement, I think, to say that we go back to the originals. Absolutely. I mean, the, the Reformation, we fought these battles to win back the right for us to use the Hebrew and Greek as the standard. So the Roman Catholics, even when they did produce Bible translations into vernacular languages, and they did even before the Reformation, they tended to translate them, as far as I understand, they always did translate them from the Vulgate itself, from the Latin translation. And that's like making a photocopy of a photocopy. That's still better than having no nothing yeah. in your hand. I would still rather have that. But the reason we translate from the Hebrew and Greek is because that that's where we started. That's what's inspired. That's the ortho, that's orthodox bibliology right there. People assume that when you have a conversation like this, I mean, since we're talking about the original manuscripts being the inspired manuscripts, I think a lot of people assume that we are anti the King James Bible. And I think it's just a good opportunity at this moment to remind people that when we say the original manuscripts were inspired, that we're not saying we are anti the King James Bible. I believe our issue is preaching the King James Bible as if it is the only translation, which is to take something and make it a doctrinal position that is, isn't even in the text. Right. You're equating a translation with the Bible fully, making it the ultimate standard, and that is not what the Bible teaches. Isn't it true that if you rearrange the letters NIV, which, by the way, Tony Hudson tested NIV positive, so that's that's what he said. I heard about that. But if you rearrange the letters NIV and multiply them by 666, doesn't it spell Satan? Um, I'm here to reveal to the Internet today that is all not true. <laughs> so explain why that's not true. <laughs> you know, uh, here we go again with... So, so I try to really keep in my mind, okay? Charity means me taking the best position of my opponents and representing them. I could do nut picking all day, okay? And that's, that's not, I don't think that's gonna be successful for me. However, there are a bunch of nuts who say nutty things and they're disproportionately collecting around the Ruckmanite variety of King James only in particular. Sam Gibbs says in his video series, I'm a King James only nut. Yeah, King James he, he owns that. But um, okay, so the, the nuts, what do I do with the nuts? I think it is right for me to observe that there are people to whom I can be charitable, with whom I can have a conversation in the King James only world. I have discovered these people, but there are a lot of people who are believing degrading things. What do, what, how do you respond to somebody who says that, you know, actually apple seeds, they have the cure for cancer, but doctors, they don't want you to know about this. Do I actually know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person is wrong? Well, no, I don't. But I'm thinking that's a conspiracy theory right there. Not all, I mean, conspiracies can exist, but I've got a pretty big wall up against those things. There's a high, you know, barrier there, a bar for proof. 
if you're believing, and I've had commenters on my YouTube channel give me this kind of stuff, NIV 666, Satan stuff. Um, I feel like if they've gone that far deep into the nuttiness, then probably, unless I have a personal relationship with them, um, this is Matthew 7, 6, cast not your pearls before swine. They're going to turn again and rend you. Well, you know, we were brought up around some guys who owned being a nut and actually celebrated it. So the IFB response to that, and I heard this preached from the pulpit multiple times, um, was this, I may be a nut, but praise God, I'm screwed on the right bolt. <laughs> so that's, how do you deal with those people, Mark? You, you, yeah. you talk about being gracious, yeah. and you are. You talk about being kind, and you are. But how, how do you deal with that extreme group of people who say, I'm a nut, and I'm going to yeah. glorify it? Well, let's remember the slivers here. I was part of an independent, independent fundamental Baptist church where my pastor training interns called those people yahoos. This guy was extremely gracious. You can look in my history and see who this was. Extremely careful to be charitable to everybody. He called them yahoos. That was an indication some people are beyond the pale. You, you cannot reach them. And I just go right to my Bible. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 tells me, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. I still only know this in the King James. Or there's this other option, depending on wisdom. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So we've talked about this, Nathan. If I answer somebody like that, and I, I usually tend toward don't punch the tar, baby. Don't even bother. You're just going to make yourself look like a fool to even talk to somebody who talks so foolishly. But occasionally, I'm aware that other people are watching this online conversation. And I need to demonstrate the patience and charity that the pastoral epistles tell me to have. Um, and then I need to put them in their place. And so um, the way I often do that is with a question. And uh, a question stirs the conscience and accusation hardens the will. Occasionally, some people can come around a little bit. And I will ask people, do you read Hebrew and Greek? I will ask them questions that reveal to everybody else. I'm willing to engage a little bit, willing to be gracious, but... Uh, it's going to show their, you know, their ignorance, hopefully, to people who have an open heart and mind and are watching. Do you think that people who don't know Hebrew and Greek are actually going to be helped and not confused by checking multiple English Bible translations? What I always say is, you know, I look at the King James only pastors that I know well, and I really do, you know, I keep saying this stuff. I just really mean it. I know some gifted people. And if they would give half the energy they have dedicated to studying up on this issue and doing the research, which meant reading D.A. Waite and Gail Ripplinger and Peter Ruckman and not listening to my side at all, as best I can tell, um, if they would devote half that energy to studying multiple translations and training their people in how to use them, I think the world could demonstrate the, the value that I'm talking about here. And I've seen it myself. You know, I push this in my church, and not that many people, as far as I know, take me up on it. But those occasional times when people say, you know, I picked up that net Bible you gave me, and, and that, I found something in there that was interesting, it was insightful, that, that happens, and that's valuable. I think, it, I think we could get somewhere. I don't think people have to be confused. People who know just English can get benefit from reading multiple translations. What about gender-neutral Bibles? <laughs> you had to ask it that way. Um, so this is like the blood controversy with John MacArthur that still gets repeated in the IFB world, which unfortunately is the responsibility of someone at my alma mater who was looking for a way to divide himself from John MacArthur, and I'm not in favor of that. It was absolutely ridiculous, the whole thing from top to bottom. When John MacArthur made the statement that he made way back in the 80s, he's only saying blood is a metaphor for death. Jesus could have bled and not died, and we wouldn't have been saved. He's not saying Jesus didn't bleed. He's not saying the blood is not necessary to cleanse you. He's saying, obviously, the blood is a metaphor for death. Yes, he also bled. The Bible tells us that. Okay, so still to this day, MacArthur's a heretic on the blood. And if you waver a little bit, oh, the blood, then that adds to <laughs> the tremble. Yeah, this is the same thing going on with gender-neutral Bible translation. And right here, I'm not just stepping on the IFB toes in the slivers that you guys came from. I'm stepping on my own crowd's toes because they've bought into this sort of thing. Yeah. I think there are legitimate discussions to be had about how do we handle the fact that English is changing so that when you say him and you intend a gender uh, non-specific pronoun, that is 
Here's an example. The customer brought his purchases to the cashier for checkout. You say that to a seven-year-old kid who only knows the English that he or she has heard, isn't really reading a lot. What is this child going to assume? You're going to, this kid's going to assume it's a man who brought his purchases to the cashier for checkout. Well, what if you don't know and you're trying not to specify? In the past, his or him could be used in a situation like that and people would understand this is, is a generic reference. It could be a man or a woman. When a customer argues, always agree with him. That sounds like you're talking about a guy. Okay, it sounds to all of us like that, right? Um, in places like that, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Was was the original author really intending to say, I'm referring specifically to men, you know, women maybe, I don't know, that's beyond my pale, I'm only talking about men here. No, there's a generic reference. So gender neutral Bible translations, that's not right. That, that is an uncharitable way to describe them. They call themselves gender accurate. They are reflecting changes in English. I have conservative friends that I love who say, you know, we're still on the you know, we're still making this change. It's not done yet. I don't think we should be on the forefront of that for Bible translations. I totally get that. But at least don't say these people are trying to gender neutralize the Bible. That is just not true. I think a good example of that would be, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Or could we just rightly say children of God, since we know that both men and women can believe on his name and he will give them the power to become his children. It, someone in internet land can correct me if I'm wrong here. I'll have to do some homework. I am pretty sure that the King James translators themselves did this, that B'nai Yisrael, which is the sons of Israel, sometimes they translated as children of Israel because of that very thing. They're recognizing that this isn't a specific you know, uh, reference to only males. This is, this is everybody. Then you have the passage, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things become new. I've heard a lot of people say, if any person be in Christ. I know as a student pastor and a college pastor with the gender specific in 2021 that we live in, I say, if any person be in Christ, just to, as a representation, you know, it's not specifically just the men because they'll take it as what about the women, you know? Right, exactly. And this is not identity politics taking over Bible translation. I'm not denying that that thing could happen. I'm not denying there are problems with identity politics. I absolutely believe that there are, but this is not that. This is people trying to get God's words into our English. That's good. So I do have a, a question kind of pivoting back to just a few moments ago. You brought up Gail Ripplinger. Do you believe that she was a credible theologian? I mean, after all, she taught interior design. Do we believe that she was credible? No, and I, to somebody who really doesn't understand that Gail Ripplinger is not credible, doesn't know what she's talking about, and demonstrates this on page after page, somebody who really doesn't know that Vern Poitras that I was just interviewing knows what he's talking about and Gail Ripplinger doesn't, it's true. I'm struggling to explain that to people. I, I, if I say, well, but look, Vern Poitras has multiple seminary degrees from trusted institutions. Usually this person's going to say, I didn't even, never even heard of these institutions, and I don't trust people who went to cemetery. Uh, so I, I almost don't know where to go from there. So what, what I've been thinking over time is what you guys have done is among the very best things that you can do. When you've had messages from Barnabas Piper, Jared Wilson, um, who else uh, did you have a message on from? R.C. Sproul, okay. These are godly men who clearly have... They, they are Christ's gift to his church as teachers. They're not perfect any more than any, any of us as pastors is perfect, but they are Christ's gifts to his church. And when you receive those gifts and say, wow, that was rich. I got goosebumps. That's what we call them where I come from. And I need to get more of this. I think that might be the secret best way to disabuse, disabuse people of the distrust that is endemic to King James onlyism. Just let them receive the gifts of these people. Then they'll start to trust. I've shared this multiple times on the podcast before, but my worldview began to be shaped in the back seat of a car on the way back and forth to Tennessee Temple Elementary School 
when mom had Moody Radio on and pastors like John MacArthur, Tony Evans, Chuck Swindoll was always my favorite as a kid. Hearing them preach out of the, I, I literally left a, a camp meeting the night before and the next day on the way to or on the way back home from school, hearing this preacher preach this powerful, grace-filled, gospel-saturated sermon out of a different version. And I remember thinking and even asking my parents these questions as a young boy in elementary school. How, how is he doing such a good, good job? It doesn't sound like he's trying to corrupt or change the gospel. And my parents honest, honestly answered that for me, and I really appreciate them doing that because they could have just kind of taken the party line, but they're like, you know, they tried to honestly give me an answer. And that's one of the greatest things I think you can do is point people in the right direction of good authors or good pastors to listen to and read to test your theory. You hold this theory about the King James translation. Let's test that. So to just play off of what you just said, and, and I know we're, we're wrapping up, I think, Mark, you're probably the best person that we could ever ask this question. How can people read more about this topic? And, you know, in the country, we give people directions and we're like, you know, you go down to the White House with the three brown cows out in front and the big oak tree and you take a right. And then, you know, we kind of give landmarks along the way. If, if you were to give people direction and, and you were to direct them in a way that is progressive so that they start maybe with milk and then they graduate up to meat, so that they can receive it. How would you give someone directions to say, this is the material you need to read to get to the place of a right understanding? Great, great. Yeah, I mean, I would do two things. Um, one, I would send them to my book, not because I'm trying to make bigger sales. You can tell I'm in this for, for the heart and the message and not the money. Um, and I would send them there because I wrote it for those people. First, to free their consciences from some of the problems in King James Onlyism, and then to demonstrate to them how I understood the Bible better by looking at multiple translations. My one example I just got to give, Psalm 16:6. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I'm going to put you guys on the spot again. It's late in a long, long set of four weeks that we've been sitting here. And what are the lines? Who's going to hazard a guess? The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. What are the lines? This is David talking. Um, the position. Okay. I'm putting you guys on the spot. Any other ideas? I'm going to opt for I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. People just Pass. stare at me when I ask these questions. And they, this is the deer in the headlights look. They don't want to look dumb. I'm trying to say over and over again, I was dumb. I didn't get it. I thought I was so smart. I looked down on the plebes who couldn't read the King James Version. I thought I was the smart one. Over years and years, it took me to realize, oh, I was misunderstanding that false friend. Oh, I didn't understand what that passage was saying. Reading multiple translations has helped me over and over again. And here's a great example. I was reading the NIV uh, one day. Yes, I was. And it said, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance, O Lord. There's two ways the King James misled me through no fault of theirs and no fault of mine. It used the word heritage instead of inheritance, and inheritance is usually intangible, a value that your parents pass you. Inheritance is usually physical, something your parents actually deed to you. Okay, so that was one thing that got me off. Another thing was the lines I didn't realize were talking about boundary lines around a plot of land. Well, the, King, the NIV, quote-unquote, added the word boundary. But in a way, they didn't. It's really there. They recognize in order for people to understand this, we're going to have to give them a little more help. I, for one, needed the help, and I had been in seminary for many years at that point. That, that's the first way I'd, I'd point to people. Look at my book. That's a step to take. And then you're going to see examples like this. Second and last step, I just throw people right into the pool. Read the ESV, you'll, you'll recognize it's very, very similar to the King James Version. You won't feel that far out of place. And then if your conscience can take it, and I'm very careful with Christian consciences, because I remember the first time I picked up an NIV, and even the way they had the, the verses laid out in paragraphs looked wrong to me. Like, that, that, that can't be right. We've got to have one verse per paragraph. I really remember thinking that. Um, but if you can get to that place in your conscience, I think you should have the Christian liberty to do so. Just read it. See how much more stuff you understand and then come back to me after you've read the entire thing and tell me, I wish I didn't understand more of the Bible now. That was a waste. 
I think the best thing people can do is just read and listen. There's a great TNIV audio Bible, which is just trashed. It's gender neutral junk. It is not the Bible experience. It's wonderful. A bunch of African-American actors and actresses who read the Bible with feeling. And when they play the part of Moses or Noah or, or Zipporah, you know, any words that are spoken, you can you get more out of it because they're actually reading it like actors and actresses would. I absolutely love that. The Bible experience, every word of the Bible. Just read, just listen. You will see that it is good. Taste and see that the word of God is mm. good through reading modern translations. Mark, this isn't in our notes, but can you talk about the different types of translations? Because I was listening to a video on the way in this morning from Asheville, and it was it was about people trashing paraphrases, which they're not even translations. It's, it's kind of like a commentary or kind of like a sermon, something like that. So can you describe the different types? I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. Okay, so every translation, we're close to wrapping up here. This is a, uh, this is a common thing people need to understand. Um, every translation has to make, let's say, 800,000 decisions. That's about how many words are in the, Greek, uh, the Hebrew Bible and the Greek New Testament, if I remember right. So I got to just make 800,000 decisions. Any one of those decisions, I could be more formal, or we often call it literal, that is tracking the forms of the Hebrew and Greek. That means like using this, trying to use the same word in English to translate a given word in Hebrew as much as possible. Although the King James translators themselves say in their preface, we purposefully avoided doing that. They still tended that way. They just didn't feel like they had to do it. Okay, um, on the, so that's the formal side. On the more functional side of translation choices is more focusing on the meaning. I might uh, adjust the word order. I might add the word boundary because I'm sensing people aren't likely to get this. Um, the King James translators did this too with God forbid. In that phrase in Greek, meganoita, there is no God and there is no forbid. It's very literally, very formally more, uh, it would say, may it never be. That was a dynamic or functional translation. So you kind of average together. How often does a given translation go more functional? Kind of focus more on the meaning and let a little of the form slip. They could reflect if they wanted to. And how often do they stick with the forms, even when maybe that might make it a little harder to understand? And you, you just average that out, and you've got kind of a center line. And then you end up with a spectrum from more formal to more functional. And then beyond that, you get the paraphrases like the message where they're actually not just translating, but transculturating. It'll talk about salmon, which don't appear in the Bible, uh, in, in, in Israel. Or it'll talk about smart mouth college in Psalm 1. Well, there's no smart, no mouth, and no college in the Hebrew. But he's getting something across. He's transculturating. It's a paraphrase. And if you can just have that basic spectrum in your mind, then you'll be able to see the useful spots that each of these translations here has staked out on that line from more formal to functional to paraphrastic. You don't have to be confused. It really isn't that confusing. Thank you. I think that's really important. Well, we're wanting to wrap this up with a final video. And it was really hard for me to wait four weeks to get to this video because I wanted to start out with it. This is the ultimate issue in my opinion, when we get to this. And I believe it's the nail in the coffin for this issue. Let's watch this video and we'll talk about it. Kept the days of unleavened bread. Well, I heard somewhere that all eight days together were considered the Passover, Abib 14 through 21. So Herod, maybe there were some days left over. You know, Herod was waiting for, you know, after the Passover. Waiting the last few days of the Passover. Waiting the, the, last few, yeah. the people that don't like the King James Bible make it up as they go. There is nothing in scripture that says that. Now, Justin, if somebody says in Bible times or in the Bible, however they want to say it, if they say all eight days are called the Passover, then there should be a, a verse that they got that from. Where did they get that? Either made it up in their mind or they got it from the Bible. You have a right to say, show me that in the Bible. Show me someplace in the Bible where it says all eight days are called the Passover. Fact is, not found anywhere. Hmm. Fact is, just the opposite. Take a look at Numbers chapter 33. The interesting thing about this video is it's the seventh video in a series of seven extended videos about the King James only issue. And nowhere in these seven videos does he prove the King James only position 
from Scripture. So in this final video, he disproves everything he does in seven videos. If I take the principle he just said, don't let a man tell you this, and he argues that on the other side of, of rejecting King James' only position, but he says, if, if you let a man define this for you, you're wrong. Go to the Bible. You have the right to demand, give me a verse in this. And nowhere in this does he back this claim up contextually from Scripture. So what I want to say to people in this King James only position, you're making a bold claim, saying this is the only one, even going to the extent, like some people do, of calling the other versions perversions and sinful and work of Satan, and even worse, crawling through the sewer when you read another translation. Prove to me from your King James Bible what you're saying in context, and I might agree with you, but nowhere in that video or those series of videos does he even attempt to do that. That's dishonest, and he's holding other people to a standard that he cannot even meet. You know, Nathan, people get lost in this. Um, I had a friend tell me uh, recently of a person in their life who's living immorally. Their sin is known. Their sin falls into the category of immorality. Their sin is egregious. But this person attacked my friend because they no longer held a King James only position. So the person is living in immorality and yet they felt qualified and justified in attacking this other person on the basis of you're not using the right Bible translation. I think the people who are in this are so intoxicated by it. You know, Mark, some people need a war. They need something to fight over. They need a cause. And so what they've created is a cause that really doesn't even exist. And so this video, the man in this video, feels right in holding everyone else to the standard of if there is not a verse, then you can fully reject the concept that they're bringing forward. He holds everyone else accountable to that, but frees himself. He's the immoral friend arguing and saying, my lifestyle, my sin doesn't matter. You've committed the ultimate sin of rejecting the King James Version only. Jesus said you teach as commandments the traditions of men. That's exactly what's happening, and that's a perfect segue to what I was thinking because I'm watching this, and so often I've thought, you know, I don't actually have a problem with the idea that God could give us perfect jot and tittle copies of the Hebrew and Greek you know, Bibles and tell us exactly where they are. God could absolutely do that. I don't have a problem either with the idea that God could give us a perfect Bible translation uh, in every language or whatever languages he chooses. But it's very much like the Immaculate Conception of Mary, where she was supposedly born without original sin. Very much like the bodily assumption of Mary, where she was supposedly taken to heaven. I can accept those ideas. I don't have any theological reason not to accept them. But I don't have a, the Bible and its authority telling me to believe them. And if someone tells me, well, the King James is the perfect Bible translation, I'm saying, give me Bible, brother, or you are no better than the Roman Catholics who've invented a doctrine that now divides people who name the name of Christ. And that he says, Sam Gipp there, don't let any man tell you, you know, that you can't understand this. Or R.B. Willette in his book, and I just, I did just shake my head. He's like, he said, um, you know, the, don't let anybody tell you that you can't understand this. That's the doctrine of Nicolaitanism. And I thought, I said, wait a minute, you know, the, I get what he's saying. He can only say that if he knows Greek, because supposedly Nicolaitanism means people who conquer the people, which you can only know if you know the etymology there. <laughs> he doesn't explain any of that. You know, he's doing the very same thing that he says you shouldn't do. And I think my argument from 1 Corinthians 14 is the one that's actually accessible. Listen, can you read Greek? If not, 
then how can you speak with direct experience to any of the textual critical issues that we've discussed? You, if you cannot read Greek, I am not insulting you to say that you are trusting another authority. Fine, they might be right. At least recognize that you're taking that person's word for it or your community's word for it. I am offering you the chance to take 1 Corinthians 14's word for it. Take Paul's word for it. Yeah. You don't have to you don't have to listen to a pointy-headed person such as myself at all. You can go to 1 Corinthians 14, read for yourself, edification requires intelligibility. You can go to the dictionaries. You can look at your own King James Bible and say, I don't understand the word besom. Oh, D.A. Waite says it means broom. Oh, why don't we just put broom in there instead of besom? Chambering should be emerality. Emerald should be tumor. Okay. I don't think you actually have to have me here to say that to you. So when I look at the King James only issue, this is how I got started with my, my book. I thought my pastor back home in my King James only church, he didn't have very good training. He didn't know Greek as far as I know. He was a good man. I, I genuinely respect him to this day. He was a man of integrity, stayed married to his wife, all that good stuff. He wasn't involved in a financial scandal. But he told us all this stuff that wasn't true about West Cotton Hort. I remember it. He told us all this stuff that I now know just wasn't true about the King James. I don't think he was lying. But there's division here. So where is the sin? Where is the sin in him believing stuff that people he trusted told him? I think his moral culpability and moral culpability of most of King James onlyism, the rank and file, uh, lies in their unwillingness to apply the teaching of 1 Corinthians 14 to this debate. They ought to rise up like the plowboys that they have every right to be and demand. I don't care what text you use because I can't read Greek or Hebrew. I'm going to have to trust somebody else. Give me a Bible in my language, my English. I've got to have it. The words of the Lord are precious to me. I've got to taste them. I've got to eat them. Give me, give me, give me, give me. That's what they should be doing. And when they don't do that, when they accept people telling them, well, no, 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 there's this Antiochian and Alexandrian, blah, 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 blah. They, they don't really understand it. Admit, you don't understand it. It's all in Greek and Hebrew. Come on. But you can understand this. Give me the Bible in my English. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. <laughs> I think we can say that we all agree at this table and men who are a whole lot smarter than us and also need to say that it's the majority of orthodox christianity the overwhelming, overwhelming majority yes. and king james onlyism has not produced people yes. who can translate the bible from hebrew and greek there's a tiny tiny number who are who are close yeah so we're in agreement that this position, the King James only position, is not based upon Scripture, which is problematic and sinful at another level. If it divides the church. Yes. So if it's not dependent upon Scripture, if you can't go to thus saith the Lord and give me in context verses to prove your position, what is it dependent upon? I've said for years it's dependent upon logic. I would say faulty logic, but if you go back and watch Sam Gipps' seven videos, he goes straight to logic. The coffee scene, the, the salt, the sugar packets, the apple scene and the orange, uh, the little Bible study scene, he goes to logic and his entire video series, which he put out a lot of money for and a lot of time and effort, he scripted it, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. It's all based upon faulty logic, and it's also based upon conspiracy theory. It's based upon tradition. It's based upon opinions. But he cannot quote a verse, not one, in context to support his position. Yeah, I looked and I looked and I looked, and the only place I could find the King James Version mentioned in the Bible was on the spine. And that's the nail in the coffin right there. Mark, tell us once again where we can find your book, Authorize. I would so gladly give away as many copies as I have, but I already have. I have to keep one. The best way to get it is to go to Logos.com and use the promo code RFPAuthorized, all one word, all caps, and you can get 40% off any format that they sell. And so far, you haven't spelled that for the people who may not 
know that word. So would you spell that for them? So logos.com, L-O-G-O-S.com. Yeah. Mark, it has been awesome to have you here with us these last four weeks and excited about the conversations uh, that these last four episodes are going to continue to ripple through uh, history as we continue to... I think uh, there's going to be some ripples. Yeah. I'm praying for ripples. Let's make some waves. Nate, I think it would be fitting if you would uh, just close this four sessions out in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sit down as brothers in Christ whose lives have been changed by this precious book, your word. Lord, we treasure your word. We value your word. We know that we're saved because of the words in the Bible. And Lord, all four of our lives have been committed to sharing your gospel and to magnifying your word and your name. So Lord, I ask that our words would be seasoned with grace. Lord, I do ask that the challenge would be bold and that it would cause people to search their souls and search their Bibles from beginning to end to see if what they believe is in line with Scripture. God, forgive us for creating doctrines out of things that are opinions. Lord, forgive us for elevating tradition over Scripture. And God, I pray for people on both sides of this issue. Lord, may we not be filled with pride in our position. May we extend grace to one another. May we be willing to have honest conversations. And Lord, I pray for people who are really struggling with their consciences that have been misinformed. And Lord, I pray that you would use our feeble efforts here to draw people closer to yourselves and to draw us closer to a true biblical representation of the doctrine of your word. And Lord, I thank you for Mark and his life and all of his effort that I think have led up to this point. And Lord, I do believe that there will be ripples that are felt throughout generations from this conversation. And Lord, I ask you to do something great through our words that none of us can do. Holy Spirit, please use these words and use this time to reach the hearts of many people and to free them from bondage and to give them a deeper love for your word and Lord, to unify people from different positions. And Father, I pray that we would always continue to be students and always continue to learn and to show love for you and for one another. Lord, I pray that you would go with us, keep us safe, and just be honored through our time here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here with us on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Y'all have a great week. Be sweet. Peace. I don't have a catchphrase. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.